each other, and so we appreciate you tackling both of them as we continue today in our series called Traveling Mercies. This is the second of two weeks in this worship series because next week we're going to be hitting the At the Movies series. We're going to have some of those. Uh, we're going to have a, a really great time. We're going to have a children's message and all the rest next week. But this week we're still talking about traveling and being travelers in the world because there's something exciting about traveling, though it can come with some difficulties and opportunities as well difficulties and opportunities for us to live and grow in our faith. Because what we're talking about is travel as a vehicle and a metaphor for our faith. People have long gone on pilgrimages and journeys as part of the Christian tradition, knowing that getting out of the ordinary, out into the world that God has created, can do something exceptional for us, can be a way for us to find God's mercies in a new and powerful way, however far it is that we go, even if it is just close to home, but yet treating the world as a journey. So last week we explored curiosity and the importance of curiosity to travel, knowing how important it is to be in the world that God has created, to experience those people whom God created and loved with a sense of curiosity, a curiosity which evokes humility, to discover God at the source of all things and to see all things through the love that God has for them. And this week, we're going to be talking about traveling by beginning with some who did some traveling over the last few days. Our youth mission trip was last week. We sent a few uh, of us, uh, myself included, on a, along on a trip with the Heritage District. Uh, it was a, a group pulled together of various youth and adult leaders from around the district went to Cass Community Services and Cass Church in Detroit, where we spent a week doing some wonderful and incredible things. Um, and so we're going to begin with Pam and then Izzy uh, sharing about their experience. We have then a picture slideshow to show you all from our week there. And then we're going to come back around to these scriptures talking about the new heaven and new earth that God has created and how the crises and challenges of travel can also help us see and participate in this new thing that God is doing. Let us begin with prayer. Almighty God, we pray that you would be with us in this moment, that we would hear your voice and experience your spirit through the words of all that are about to share the stories of experience, and that you would speak through the scriptures as well. Be with us in this place, we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, I'd like to invite you on forward to share. You. One elder, Pastor Dylan, one deacon, a youth pastor, and an almost 70-year-old grandma walk into a warehouse. It sounds like the start of a joke, but it's not. With us are 11 amazing youth, ages 7 through 11th grade. The warehouse is the Cass Community Social Services World Building in downtown Detroit, and this was our residence for five days last week. Everyone walked in apprehensive but ready to serve. Some youth were alone, not knowing anyone there, and some were in groups. This was the start of the UMC Michigan Heritage District 2022 mission trip. We had no idea what we would be doing, but with safety glasses, and work gloves in hand, these youth and adults tackled projects that even a grandma 
said, what? With what? Additional note, there were no riding lawnmowers, no paint sprayers, no leaf blowers. I almost bought, well, I went out and bought one. No tractors with trailers. We were old school with hand lawnmowers, wheelbarrows, push brooms, brushes, and rollers to paint at least a 60-foot wall in the basement of an old, dirty convent base, that basement that is being rehabbed for families less fortunate. We also organized and cleaned the tool and wood warehouse while walking three to four blocks for every meal in the heat to eat with the residents at the Cass resident building. The kids shredded. They took things apart in the recycling area, packed crackers for two hours in the kitchen, ten to a bag, cleaned the dining room and the pantry, mowed lawns, and swept sidewalks for the Detroit tiny houses, and even made a pallet Christmas tree, which you'll see on the video. The kids and adults all worked and played hard. Everyone bonded, made new friends, and learned things about themselves and others through the process of serving others. Funny part is, on the last day, the kids wanted to go back to the convent to finish painting the basement walls. You would think they would be done, but they took pride in whatever they were doing to do the best job that they could, and lasting friendships were made. The group what their group chat was on fire as soon as we hit the car on Friday nights. <laughs> so fun to watch them all grow in so many different ways. In the evenings, we took public transportation to visit the Detroit Riverwalk, and we literally, literally discovered Canada was so close. Some of us did not know that. We visited the Whaling Wall, and we learned about segregation in Detroit. By vote, the adults were very happy when Mediterranean won over Mexican cuisine, which was a pleasant surprise, and we were all treated to dinner hosted by the Cass Social Services Organization. The final night, around a bonfire in a local park, we shared communion with each other, and we had an awards ceremony with paper plate awards. Some of our youth had a chance to interact with resident children in the park. These little ones begged to be picked up, there was one girl that had three kids hanging on her, and they all wanted to be held. Izzy was reading to a four-year-old in the resident area at dinner, and our youth did not disappoint, and they lovingly, lovingly picked them up and graciously offered their love to bridge any divide that we perceived to exist. We certainly missed the Somervilles, but they were there in spirit as we played many rousing games of ID set. This is a game based on Ruth Bader Ginsburg that was first brought to our attention by Megan several years ago and has become very popular. It was fun to see the youth become Chief Justice where we debated questions and solved world problems like, is an open-faced sandwich really a sandwich? Or... Our avocados overrated. We spent minutes, literally half an hour, debating these topics. Hide and seek was very popular in the evenings. Hours of hide and seek in the dark, along with ping pong and cup pong. 
Not sure where they got all that energy, but they were up every morning at 7 and ready to tackle the next project. Izzy and I would like to thank all of you for your financial support for this mission trip. And most of all, your prayers. Your prayers were felt throughout the week, and it meant so much to know that we were surrounded by prayer. And there were no incidents, no accidents, um, and we were safely. So thank you all. And Izzy's going to share from her perspective. Um, first, I'd just like to say thank you for everyone. This was my first mission trip, and I had. Okay. Well, I had so much fun, especially with the Callan concerts. And I had fun making a lot of new friends and meeting a lot of new people and spending time with my grandma, Hip Jima, and Pastor Dill Pickle. And I just had a very fun time overall. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Friends, invite you to take, it's about four minutes to watch this uh, picture slideshow from our experience over the last week.
It really was an incredible week. I can only echo the thanks that Izzy and Pam both shared for the ways that this church supported uh, and has faithfully supported across the years, mission work for the youth and for all of us, sending out, us out in ways to be helpful, to be God's hands and feet in the world. It's such a transformative um, experience, such a place of growth to go and see the world in that sort of way. It's, a, it's what travel does to us when we go and we get to see the world as it really is, and sometimes the world is not quite as good as we would like it to be. Things are not fair or equal across the board. There are many who live without things that they should have, and many of us have more than we might need. And so it can be a challenge to witness this and to experience it. But there is a word of hope that Scripture carries from beginning to end, that begins in creation when God makes all things good, sets all things in balance, makes a place for all creatures in creation. And though it doesn't last long and it begins to fall apart not long after, again and again the Scriptures come back to this place and to this idea that there can be a world where all live in peace, all have what they need, that there is a hope for another time. And so we hear this thread running through Isaiah and Revelation, just a chapter and a half before the very end of Scripture itself. Whenever the world is revealed to be crumbling and breaking a bit, God speaks a word of hope about a new thing that is happening, a new thing that is coming. And so Isaiah speaks it, Revelation picks up on it, uses some of the same imagery, and we can sometimes see it around us too. The way the Revelation describes it is as a a city where God is forever with us. Revelation says there is no more temple because God is there among all of God's people. And apparently it's very bright. And never nighttime, there's no need for the sun or the moon because the light of God shines on that whole place. And there's one sort of odd little quirk. It says that there's a wall around the city because in that time every city had a wall, but there were gates in the wall, and the gates of that city would never be closed. They'd never be closed during the day, and they'd never be closed at night because there was no night. And all of that that there was in that city, all of the good things that God was doing there, that God was present to do, were open to all people, always. Pam mentioned it briefly. We had a chance while we were in Detroit this last week to go, what, go to what uh, the cast folks called the Wailing Wall. It was sort of a historical artifact uh, in a neighborhood not too far from the cast community services buildings. Um, and it was, in fact, a wall that had, was once eight feet tall. And it ran the length of what you could see. There were houses on one side and parks and a house on the other. And they gave us a little bit of the history, which was that after World War II, many servicemen were coming back looking to find places to live with their families, and so the government was looking to sponsor building of new homes and communities and neighborhoods. But they gave one stipulation to that, which is that they could only receive the funding for that if those communities were segregated between the black and white residents. And so in many places, that segregation happened along uh, physical features that already existed, train tracks or rivers, And so there was one side of the tracks and then another, one side of the river and then another. But in this place, in Detroit, there wasn't anything like that to use. And so the builders asked if they could build an eight-foot tall wall 
to put white houses on one side and black houses on the other, and that was approved, and they built an eight-foot-tall cement wall, and so it was. There were black houses and white houses, and while we were there, learning this history, they asked us, uh, the deacon who was leading it, asked us which side we thought was which, and and nobody responded, so I, I gave it my best guess. I looked on the one side, and there were big houses over there, and I said, I bet you that was the the side where the white residents lived, because those houses are bigger. They had two stories. And I think I gave the deacon a little bit of a chuckle because I was absolutely wrong. She said, no, no, you've got it backwards. That side is where the black residents lived, because if you look on this other side, the houses might be smaller, because the white families tended to be smaller, but they're all made of brick. And there's a playground on this side. And the yards are bigger, and the houses are further apart. All of the signs of status of uh, good economics were on the one side and not accessible by the other with a wall in between and no gate to allow you to go from one side to the other. Because this tends to be what happens when we get something good and we worry that there may not be enough of it. We try to limit who all has access to it to make sure there's always enough for us to have it. It didn't take very long until that wall no longer did what it was intended to do, because residents of the community, and particularly of the local faith communities, wanted to be sure that there was no division between black and white or any sort of division along humanity in those lines. And so it was by the 1950s that the wall no longer divided anything. Because this is what happens when God is with us. We look to ensure that all people, can walk through the walls into the city of God where there are good things enough for all of us. This is what is captured there in Revelation. And there are good things in that city, and Isaiah draws it out even more so in this metaphorical and beautiful language. We can see it particularly in verse 20. It starts to talk about the length of life that people have in the city that God is creating. Babies will live Long past infancy, and if you only live to 100, well, that is a short lifespan. And then it says something interesting. It says that they, the people living in this place that God is creating, this new heaven, new earth, they will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They won't build for others to live in nor plant for others to eat. We had a chance a different day on the trip to work in the tiny house community that Cass Community Services has put together. It's happened about uh, four years ago that they thought, wouldn't it be interesting if we took this empty space of land and put up as many tiny houses on it as we could? We made them as exceptional as we could, and so they did. They have today a community of about 20 to 25 tiny houses, all different in architecture, all put together incredibly well, and in them live people from all manner of backgrounds but all low-income. They pay what they can based off of how much they earn. And if they live there for seven years, then they have the chance to own the home for themselves because home ownership unlocks so much in the world. Having a history of living somewhere, paying a rent, paying a mortgage, owning a place can give you something that very few other things can in the world, stability and hope and dignity. While we were there, we were doing yard work on some of the the newer built houses that hadn't been moved into yet. We got the chance to meet a couple of residents. I was lagging behind the group as they were all collecting 
lawnmowers and rakes and various things and happened to meet one of the residents as she stepped outside. She was an older woman, probably in her 60s or 70s. We heard just a little bit about her, not her background, though we knew enough about where she lived that perhaps it was a difficult background. She said she had been living there for eight months and she had done some wonderful things to the place. She had flower beds that stretched all the way across the walk up to her porch, wrapped around the porch and in the backyard. And she was delighted in them. You could tell. We talked about them at length. She said her goal was to have no more grass around her house if she could. She didn't seem to like mowing grass very much, but she loved her flowers. And she talked about which ones had bloomed already and which ones were coming and what she was planning to prune and what she was planning to plant. She bemoaned the fact that plants are getting more expensive, some 40 or $50 to get good plants. But she was committed to it because she wanted plants that were going to bloom. She was ready to completely inhabit the space where she was. And you could see the joy as she talked about it. And you could see the care that she took in tending to it. And as the morning stretched on, she stayed outside and she pulled out her lawnmower, which she was delighted to show us. It was uh, 13 inches wide because she didn't plan on having very much grass. And so it was just the right size. And she mowed her yard and she helped mow other yards and connect with us and talk and make sure the place that she was was as beautiful as it could be. It was clearly a gift to her to have a place to call her own. Isaiah says they will live in houses, and they will be able to plant, and they will be there long enough to reap the harvest of what they plant. So often, those at the bottom of the economic structure we have built work for other people's profit. It is a gift to have something to call your own. It was a gift that was given to this woman that we had the chance to participate in just a bit. It was a chance to see a new heaven and a new earth coming out here on the old earth. Look, Isaiah says, Look, I am making a new heaven and a new earth. And it's not Isaiah speaking, it's God speaking. Look around and see. There's something new happening here. When we step outside of the comfortable and the familiar, what we know and where we live, we can sometimes be challenged by just how broken the world can be. But the challenge may also be an opportunity that as we step out and as we see, we might know that there is something to participate in, that there is a new heaven, a new earth emerging, and that God so often works through the hands and the feet of the body of Christ. There is something new and something good happening. Look, can you see it? It's happening in Detroit in tiny houses and convents turned into homeless shelters. It's happening in Manchester when we send out people to work on Habitat for Humanity Builds, when we support the Community Resource Center, Manchester Family Services, to make sure people have enough to eat, when we make sure that the, the free blessing box is packed full of everything anyone could need, when we welcome in those who are struggling or grieving with love, when we embrace those around us with God's love in every which way that we can, 
when we have the delight and the joy to share the good news of the hope that runs throughout the story of Scripture, that things are not always good, and rarely as they should be, but God is doing something. God is bringing forth a new heaven and a new earth. Look, can we see it? Can we participate in it? Friends, may it be so. Thanks be to God. Amen. I invite you to stand as we continue.